the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. WLCC Brandon. Faith Talk Tampa. Download the Faith Talk Tampa app or listen on TuneIn and Odyssey. The following is sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries and is pre-recorded. Now, most people are interested in future events. Most people are interested in uh, what's going to take place in the future. You, you don't even have to be uh, a Christian to appreciate and be interested in the future. We we buy magazines and uh, and newspapers to sort of get economic trends. Uh, we listen to the weather to get weather patterns and find out what's going to happen tomorrow, which, of course, we know in, in our state it's usually not the case. But uh, we're interested anyway. We're interested in scientific breakthroughs. We want to know what's going to happen in the future. Uh, there are many fortune tellers, palm readers, astrologers. Uh, there, there's, even, uh, there's even fortune cookies. In fact, my favorite uh, fortune cookie had a, or the, the saying in it, I, I was in a Chinese restaurant recently, and um, I, I actually got this, this message in my fortune cookie, you love Chinese food. How often have you wished you could know how certain events would unfold? I think we have all had that desire from time to time. Welcome to Verse by Verse, featuring the preaching of Pastor Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. Throughout church history, there has been speculation as to when Jesus would return or when the tribulation would begin. That curiosity has been with the church for a very long time. What would you say if I told you I knew when Jesus would return? Obviously, I don't know, because the Bible tells us no one knows the day or the hour. However, we can learn some valuable insights about how we should ponder the end times as we study the Olivet Discourse. This series is titled, Birth Pains for the New Kingdom. And I think you're going to find that we are going to learn a lot as we listen to Pastor Steve. Mark chapter 13. We are embarking on a new journey this morning. Mark chapter 13. And uh, really, the whole, I could read the whole chapter, but I won't do that. I'll just read up to verse 8. And as he was going out of the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Teacher or Rabbi, behold what wonderful stones and what wonderful buildings... Jesus said to him, Do you see these great buildings? Not one stone shall be left upon another which will not be torn down. And as he was sitting on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter and James and John and Andrew were questioning him privately, Tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign when all these things are going to be fulfilled? And Jesus began to say to them, See to it that no one misleads you. Many will come in my name saying, I am he, and will mislead many. 
And when you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be frightened, for those things must take place. But that is not yet the end. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places. There will also be famines. These things are merely the beginning of birth pangs or birth pains. What I have just read to you, in fact, the whole chapter, is commonly called the Olivet Discourse. Theologians call it that because Jesus delivered this discourse or this message on the Mount of Olives. That's why we call it the Olivet Discourse. If you'll notice, the beginning of verse 3 says, as he was sitting on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple. So he was sitting on this mountain called Olives, Mount of Olives, Uh, Right at the foot of the Mount of Olives is the Garden of Gethsemane. It's really across the street from where the temple was. There's a valley that separates it. And the Lord Jesus was up there explaining to his disciples these truths. Now, the theme of the Olivet Discourse is the ends of this present age. The ends of this present age and the second coming of Messiah. That is the theme. As this age comes to a close, at the close of this age, Messiah will come back. And that is the theme and the message of the Olivet Discourse. Now, most people are interested in future events. Most people are interested in uh, what's going to take place in the future. You you don't even have to be uh, a Christian to appreciate and be interested in the future. We we buy magazines and uh, and newspapers to sort of get economic trends. Uh, we listen to the weather to get weather patterns and find out what's going to happen tomorrow, which, of course, we know in, in our state it's usually not the case. But uh, we're interested anyway. We're interested in scientific breakthroughs. We want to know what's going to happen in the future. Uh, There are many fortune tellers, palm readers, astrologers. Uh, There's even even fortune cookies. In fact, my favorite uh, fortune cookie had a, or the the saying in it, I I was in a Chinese restaurant recently, and um, I I actually got this, this message in my fortune cookie, you love Chinese food. I saved that one. It's at home. I thought that was the best. But people are interested in in the future. But the only accurate place, the only totally accurate place where you can learn about the future and not have any doubts about it and know that it is absolutely truth is the Bible. And much of the Bible's prophetic content is centered around the second coming of Jesus Christ. There's 1,500 Old Testament passages that refer to the second coming of Messiah. Now, when the prophets wrote of Messiah's coming, they made no distinction between the first and the second. We are looking back at at prophecy and and what the Scripture said, and we look back and we see that we can make these distinctions. But 1,500 Old Testament references refer to Messiah's second coming. For every time the first coming is mentioned in the Bible, the second coming is mentioned eight times. Next to the subject of faith, the return of Jesus Christ is the most dominant theme in the New Testament. So the Bible has much to say about the future, specifically the return of the Lord. The most extensive and the most lengthy discourse that Jesus ever gave on his return is in Mark chapter 13. It's also in Matthew chapter 24 and in Luke chapter 21. All three of those gospel writers focus on that. But listen... The fact that Mark included it in his gospel is very revealing. It's very important. It tells us that this is a significant portion of Scripture. Let me tell you why. It is even more significant than you might realize. Because Mark's gospel is a very brief gospel. 
It is a fast-moving gospel. Mark's gospel is centered around the theme that Jesus is God's servant. He's the servant of the Lord. And therefore, he has come to minister. He has come to do. He, it is a gospel of action. It is not a gospel of, of teaching. There's very little of Christ's teaching in the Gospel of Mark. It is mostly action. That's why his favorite word is, in the King James Version, it says straightway. In my version, it says immediately. In other words, Mark is just telling us very, very, uh, giving us a fast glimpse of what Jesus Christ is accomplishing as the servant of the Lord. So it's a fast-moving gospel. Usually doesn't take time to sit and listen to the Lord's sermons or his parables or his teaching. But Mark did stop here. Mark did stop and record for us a very long uh, discourse, the Olivet Discourse, which indicates that we need to listen very carefully. This is very important, very important. You will really not understand about the, co- the close of this age and the coming of Christ without an understanding of Mark chapter 13. You will really not have a handle on it. This is absolutely essential to understanding prophecy. Now, we call it the Olivet Discourse, but it is really just an answer to a couple of questions, a long answer, but an answer to a couple of questions that the disciples posed to the Lord Jesus because they didn't understand something. Let's begin. Let me give you some background, and we're sort of going to take a different approach to this. I have to spend most of the time on background, or you'll not understand what they're asking, and you'll not understand what he's answering, and you'll not understand if the church is in, is in any relationship to, to Mark 13. So I want to spend some time giving you background. Let's look at chapter 13, verse 1. This is the background. As he was going out of the temple. So it takes place, we believe, on Tuesday of the final week of our Lord's ministry just before his death. This is the final week, the Passover week. And you'll recall that Jesus has spent a very busy day, a very busy Tuesday in Jerusalem. It began as he was traveling in the morning from Bethany, about two miles away. Bethany to Jerusalem, and the day before that, he had cursed a, a fig tree that, that uh, gave promise of, of giving forth fruit, but it didn't. It was deceitful. Jesus cursed it, symbolic uh, judgment upon the nation of Israel. The next day, the disciples, on Tuesday morning, as they were passing that fig tree on their way to Jerusalem, or, or they were in Jerusalem, they saw that fig tree, and they were astounded that it, that it had withered. And so Jesus takes the time to really give them a mild rebuke. It isn't, you know, a heavy rebuke. A mild rebuke as he explains mountain-moving faith. In essence, what he's saying to them is, gentlemen, don't you believe my word? You need to have faith in God's word. And so he spends that time telling them. That's how the day began, at least as far as ministry. That was chapter 11. Then he arrived in Jerusalem, and he went to the temple area, and he began to teach. While he was teaching, he was confronted by the Jewish leaders who asked him a series of four questions, not because they wanted answers, but because they wanted to trap and discredit him and show that he is a false messiah and a pretender. Well, it backfired on them as he answered brilliantly. Next, he just continued his teaching, and he made it very clear to the people around him to beware of the scribes and the Pharisees because they are false teachers. These men who had tried to trap him, he now turns upon them and says to the, to the crowd, beware of them because they are proud. They love to be called rabbi in the, and have the chief seats in the synagogues. And they, they love, and we would say today, they love to be called doctor and uh, have everybody know of their education that they are important people and very well learned. He said, beware of them also because they are greedy, for they devour widows' homes. 
They make long prayers, and, and all they're interested in is having these widows give them money. These poor, destitute widows give them whatever they have. And then he said they are hypocrites. Beware of them because they are hypocrites. They pretend to be interested in these women when they're really just interested in getting their money. Now, finally, right after that, he, he, left, the, he left one area, the, the court of the, uh, of the Gentiles, moved into another court in the temple complex known as the court of the women. The women could, could go no further than this, and the treasury was in there. Thirteen boxes around the treasury, uh, around this court, and uh, the Lord Jesus sat down, and he was doing some people watching. And he watched the people put in their offerings, put in their contributions. And, and he said some very wealthy people put in a lot of money. And the reason that anyone would know that is because they dropped their coins. And, and some of them were very interested that people know how much money they dropped, so they dropped them one at a time. And then there was this poor widow who came, and she just gave two mites, just a fraction of a penny. And Jesus called his disciples over, and he said, gentlemen, look at this woman. Her giving is greater than all of theirs. Because she gave everything. She gave 100%. They gave out of their abundance. She gave it all. But now, that, that was Tuesday. Now, Tuesday was coming to a close. It was late in the afternoon. And the sun would soon be setting. And so Jesus left the temple, which is what verse 1 is telling us. He left the temple. And he left the city of Jerusalem to head back to Bethany, which I told you was about two miles away. But on his way out of the temple complex, one of his disciples said something very interesting to him. Notice verse 1. As he was going out of the temple, one of his disciples said to him, teacher or rabbi, behold, what wonderful stones and what wonderful buildings. Now, he was referring to the temple. That's who he was referring to. And he said, rabbi, look around you. Isn't this gorgeous? Now, as you read that, you have to ask yourself, why? Why did he say that? I mean, these are fishermen. These are not men who are particularly interested in architecture. Why did he say that? Well, for one thing, the temple was absolutely magnificent. Uh, these men were basically country bumpkins from Galilee, and they had probably never seen a building like this. I mean, they had been there before, but there was nothing else like this in Israel. Nothing, And these were not world travelers. There was nothing like this anywhere that they had seen. And so there is a sense in which what he was saying is this is absolutely magnificent. This is breathtaking. Let me explain to you about the temple and how gorgeous it really was. It was not one building. When you think of the temple, you probably think of just the sanctuary. That, that is not the case. There was the sanctuary and the Holy of Holies and all of that, but it was not simply one building. There were various courts, there were balconies, there were colonnades, there were porches. The temple complex actually covered one-sixth of the area of the whole city of Jerusalem. If you ever get to Israel, you can see in Jerusalem there is a miniature setup of what Jerusalem looked like at the time of Christ. And you can see this mammoth complex of, of a temple that takes up much of the space of the city of Jerusalem, one-sixth. It was considered one of the wonders of the Roman world. The temple complex was built by Herod. Herod was a famous builder. And you go to Israel, you see that there are remains of some of the things that Herod built. He, he was an architect. He was a builder. And he, he built a lot for a few reasons. He built in order to, to win over the favor of the Jewish people, especially the temple, because he said he was the king of the Jews, but he, was, he wasn't even Jewish. He was an Edomite. And the Jewish people never accepted him. They despised him, and so he wanted to win them over. So he didn't just build the temple. What he did is he expanded upon it. The temple was there. He just expanded and, and made it a magnificent uh, temple. Herod also built many buildings to keep people uh, busy, 
so there'd be no rebellions. And the reason I know that is because when we were in Israel and we were, stu- we were at Masada, which is on the mountain by the Dead Sea, which is a mountain fortress, uh, our tour guide said that. And I, I believe either myself or someone asked him about why did he build so much. And he said, if you keep people busy all the time, they're too tired to revolt against you. So Herod was very busy building, and he, one of the things he built was the temple complex. Do you know how long it took to build this? Let's turn to John chapter 2. Let me, let me show you how long it, it uh, took to build this temple. John chapter 2, verse 19. Jesus answered and said to them, destroy this temple, and in three days I'll raise it up again. He said this at the beginning of his ministry, not referring to the physical temple in Jerusalem, but referring to himself as the temple of God, where the Spirit of God would abide. The Jews therefore said, it took 46 years to build this temple, and you'll raise it up in three days? Now, they didn't understand what he was talking about. The temple was still being built. It had already been 46 years in building and it would continue for another uh, many years, to about 64 A.D. it was finally completed. Uh, you see, they didn't, they didn't have Ken Beard there, and some of you know Ken Beard. He would have, he would have done it in three weeks, guarantee it. But uh, didn't have him there, so it took a lot of years, and uh, it was absolutely gorgeous, absolutely gorgeous. It was built with massive white stones. If, if you go to Jerusalem, once again, you will see that most of the buildings are in the same stone, are, are made with the same stones. They're gorgeous white stone. Uh, massive white stones, they, they weighed up to 100 tons. They were about the size of boxcars. These were massive, huge. And the stones were polished and decorated with gold. Josephus, the Jewish historian, wrote this, an eyewitness of the temple. He wrote, The exterior of the building wanted nothing that could astound either mind or, or eye. For being covered on all sides with massive plates of gold, the sun was no sooner up than it radiated so fiery a flash that persons straining to look at it were compelled to avert their eyes as from the solar rays. To approaching strangers, it appeared from a distance like a snow-clad mountain, for all that was not overlaid with gold was of purest white. So it was absolutely breathtaking. And uh, we can really understand why one of the disciples would say to him, Rabbi, look at this, these buildings. Have you ever seen anything like it? But there is more to the statement than just aesthetic beauty. Matthew Chapter 23. We're going to put this together because Mark doesn't tell us about this, but Matthew does. And in Matthew's gospel, the end of, of chapter 23, beginning of verse 37, this is, uh, this is a parallel passage to what we have been studying in Mark. Jesus said, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her, How often I wanted to gather your children together the way a hen gathers her chicks under her wings and you were unwilling. Behold, now listen, your house is being left to you desolate. Meaning not only Jerusalem, but the temple, that is the house of God. It is left to you desolate, for I say to you, from now on you shall not see me until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Since Israel has rejected Jesus as Messiah, the Lord was about to leave Jerusalem and about to leave the temple area. And this magnificent temple complex was being abandoned. And that's what Jesus said. That's what he meant. We said it's desolate. It's being abandoned by God. It's abandoned. And, and this disciple in Mark chapter 13 can't understand why. 
Why leave this temple now? Why would God's house become abandoned and alone and, and, and desolate? Why? That's the background. That's why he is saying, Lord, why would you leave this place and abandon it to judgment? Look at these massive stones and this gorgeous place. Why? He can't understand it. See, he's not just saying that out of the blue, like, isn't this a nice place? I've never been to a place as nice as this. What he's, he's saying in the context of Christ saying, your house is left to you desolate, he's saying, I don't understand this. Why would you leave it? Why would you leave it in judgment? Verse 2, here's Christ's response. Jesus said to him, do you see these great buildings? Not one stone shall be left upon another which will not be torn down. That's a real shocker. I don't think he expected to hear that. It must have just absolutely blown the disciple away. In fact, it probably blew all the disciples away. He said, not only will the temple be abandoned by God, it'll also be destroyed. Be destroyed. Most gorgeous set of buildings they've ever seen is going to be destroyed. And it was destroyed. It was destroyed in 70 AD. The Jewish people revolted against Rome's uh, domination of them. And General Titus came in with the Roman legion. And he destroyed Jerusalem and the temple. Actually, from my research, I understand that he did not want to destroy the temple. He wanted it to remain, but one of his soldiers uh, did it anyway, set the temple on fire against his orders. Fire was used to destroy the temple complex. Soldiers leveled the buildings in Jerusalem to the ground, and about an estimated one million Jewish people were killed. Greedy soldiers then pulled the stones apart, trying to reclaim the melted gold. Josephus said later, that no person visiting this site would ever know that a temple existed there. See, what Jesus said was absolutely true. No stone will even exist. No stone will be on top of another stone. Now, you may wonder, you may have seen what is known as the Wailing Wall or what is called the Western Wall. It used to be called the Wailing Wall of uh, the temple complex because the Jewish people would go there and wail because they wanted all of Jerusalem. In 67, uh, 1967, they got all of Jerusalem, and now they call it the Western Wall because it was on the western side of the temple. It's no longer a place to, to wail. Uh, you may wonder, well, isn't that still in existence? Doesn't that uh, deny this prophecy? Jesus said no stone will be, will be upon another. No, it doesn't deny this prophecy. The, the wailing or western wall was not part of the temple complex. It really wasn't. It wasn't part of the temple. The, it was the western retaining wall for the platform on which the temple stood. It really was not the temple. It's just, it's really not, it wasn't even a sacred spot. Back in Christ's time, people have made it a sacred spot. It is a wall, it's a magnificent wall. It, but it's just a wall that held up the, te the temple complex. It wasn't part of the temple. So this prophecy came to pass. Now, I I'm sure that the disciples were absolutely amazed and shocked and dumbfounded when Christ said these words. He spoke about the temple's destruction. But there is a sense in which they had to be encouraged, and their ears had to perk up when they heard this. You say, how could, you be, how could they have been encouraged about hearing this? Well, I'll explain in a moment. This led to asking Christ two questions in verses 3 and, and then 4. As he was sitting on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter and James and John and Andrew were questioning him privately. Tell us, when will these things be, and what will be the sign when all these things are going to be fulfilled? Now, when they reached the Mount of Olives, remember the one disciple said, Lord, what magnificent buildings, as they were leaving the temple and then leaving Jerusalem, they walked these two miles, they climbed the Mount of Olives, 
They reached, uh, they, they got to the top of it, and it's about 150 feet higher than the city of Jerusalem. It was then outside of Jerusalem. Now Jerusalem is much larger, so it is inside of Jerusalem, but it was outside then. And they could sit down, and from their vantage point, about 150 feet higher than the, than Jerusalem, the temple complex, they could sit down, and they could just look across the valley, which is basically like across the street, like a big boulevard for us, and they could uh, see the, the sun setting on the temple complex, and it must have been a, just a gorgeous, breathtaking sight as the sun set over the temple and the city. And while they were looking at this beautiful scene, four disciples approached the Lord. They had probably been discussing this all the way back to Jerusalem. Four of them, Peter, James, John, and Andrew, privately asked Christ a couple of questions that are related to each other. Question number one, and this will open up for you the Olivet Discourse. Oh, I can't believe we stopped the teaching right there. I mean, What was question one going to be? (laughs) Well, I guess you're going to have to tune in next time to find out. I can give you a little hint, though. The first question had to do with the future. Ah, yes, we did start today's program talking about that, didn't we? I guess we have more to talk about, so please join us next time for Verse by Verse. I would also like to invite you to worship at the Lakeside Community Chapel if you are ever in the Clearwater, Florida area. You can find out more about the church by surfing over to lakesidechapel.com. You can also find podcasts of the Verse by Verse program at versebyverseradio.org. We are out of time, but I look forward to joining you next time as we listen to Verse by Verse. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.